Welcome to the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast, Episode 11. Hey everyone, I hope you're doing well, keeping healthy and practicing the proper social distancing from everybody. I am uh, doing a little bit of that myself. I'm recording this podcast in my car because my lovely wife, who uh, thankfully has the opportunity to work from home, has commandeered my office. So I was more than uh, you know welcome to go and uh, do it while she's working. I'm pretty sure uh, that it would be more of a distraction for her than anything else. So let's get to it. I'd like to thank everyone who listened to the Dave Jordan episode. It's got the highest amount of plays yet for uh, this podcast. So if you listen to it, thank you very much. And if you haven't, please check it out. It was a great talk with Dave. And the feedback I got from that episode has been pretty great so far. So I'm really glad everyone's enjoying it. I was kind of afraid I wouldn't have a lot of time to do some of the usual stuff I do for these solo episodes, like going back and reading some comics, reading some new stuff, same thing with the music. But I, I managed to squeak some stuff in there here and there. And uh, yeah, I found some stuff I really liked, kind of revisited another thing we just talked about recently. And yeah, I got some good stuff to recommend for you guys today. So let's get to it. A few episodes back, I brought up the comic series Irredeemable. It was great. I uh, also mentioned I didn't finish it because I thought I had all the trades and I didn't. And thanks to Comixology and the unlimited program they have there, so I just kind of just downloaded it all and started from scratch again. And I managed to finish the series and I was right. They did not disappoint. Mark Wade did a fantastic job bringing that story together and telling something really interesting and new. And I was you know very glad I got a chance to finish it. I was a bit disappointed that Peter Krauss didn't get a chance to finish the series with his pencils. Uh, not to uh, dismiss Eduardo Barreto's art, which was very nice, but our, you know I, for continuity's sake, I was really hoping that you know Peter would be able to come back full time and finish it. But I don't know what the story was there. It could have just been any number of things, but. Uh, Regardless, they did a great job finishing it up. And I really liked the tag at the end. It was something nice and sweet and special and I think kind of a really fitting end to this series. I really liked what Mark Wade and his team did with just kind of turning a lot of these archetypes on their head and just really not being afraid to just dump a whole bunch of new and interesting characters out there. I'm not 100% sure if he's ever going to return to the Irredeemable universe, but I, I hope he does. Uh, I'm really interested in seeing what new stories come from this ending. So yeah, I definitely think you should, at the very least, go to comicsology.com, sign up for the unlimited 60-day free trial, can't beat that, and they have the entire series up there ready for you to borrow. The next thing I want to talk about is comic related, not so much a comic, but it is the first season of the show Lock and Key from Netflix and Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. I love the comic. It was one of my favorite comic series of all time. And though it's been a few years since I've finished reading it and some of the details were kind of hazy, I really enjoyed the show. I thought they did a great job in the beginning adapting some of the things. I didn't realize later some of the changes they made with switching out, you know, some of the kids' activities and all that and I'm not 100% sold on the actress playing uh, the mother, but I, again, everyone did a fine job. Towards the end of the series, spoiler warning, first of all, if you haven't watched it yet, I'm going to talk about the ending, but I don't remember them finding the Omega door so, so uh, fast. Now, as an adaptation, I get it. You want to have this big 
mysterious thing that the entire series is kind of kind of be leading to. I d- totally get it. Not complaining at all. I just was surprised they uh, kind of just dropped that so early. Additionally, towards the end of the series, there's a few kind of head scratch moments for me where I thought they'd done some stuff really well, and now it's kind of you know it seems like it's kind of kind of kind of some dumb moves, I guess. Not to like really insult somebody, but I, I don't really get why they made those choices. They could have gotten to where they were going a different way, such as when you know they find the key for the Crown of Shadows. They split up to go back and get the crown. Why did you bring the key with? <laughs> you knew uh, Lucas slash Dodge was going to be hanging around potentially. Why did you do that? I get it. They they wanted to have the ending they needed to get to. I felt they probably could have got there a different way, but that's fine. I did like the ending overall. I thought it was good, and I think. Uh, the kid actor playing Bodhi really kind of grew into the role a bit. At first, he was kind of a typical kid actor. I'm like, oh, the kid, he's so damn precocious and precious. But he really, uh, he really sold me on Bodhi. Additionally, the older siblings, uh, they did a great job. And I was trying to recognize uh, the older brother, Taylor. <laughs> Tyler, Tyler. Uh, see, my memory shit. <laughs> my favorite series of all time. And I can't remember the damn main character's name. Uh, but I was trying to place that actor for the longest and I was like, what is he from? So then finally, instead of trying to like, you know, search through the waste paper basket that is my brain, I went on IMDb and I saw, oh, you know, this kid was on Falling Skies and I really didn't like him on Falling Skies, but he does a great job here. I'm really glad, uh, they cast him. I saw someone, I think it was Mike Norton tweeted that all the actors look like Gabriel Rodriguez drew them. (laughs) And that's, that's pretty accurate, I think especially with uh, Dodge and the kids. So yeah, I think Lock and Key's got a second season. I'm interested to see what they're going. I like some of the additions they made. I like the Savini squad. I like some of the, uh, you know, more uh, deceptive things happening with some of the other characters. And I'm excited to see where they take the story. I think adaptations don't have to be slavish to the source material because it's a different medium. And I think a lot of the choices they made were the right choices and were good choices. Just a few little nitpicks I had here and there, but... Which one of us nerds doesn't have a nitpick about something, right? All right, for music, uh, I was especially worried I wasn't going to have anything to talk about because I hadn't had a chance to go back to a a bunch of music lately, especially with the quarantine and, you know, my... my, uh, you know, one of my kids not being in school and things just being generally more hectic around. There's not a lot of time to just throw on some tunes and listen to them. That said, I did make some time to listen to the new Body Count, uh, the new album Carnivore. I'm not a huge Body Count fan, but they have kind of a special nostalgic place for me that uh, I always give them a shot. I always check it out whenever they have something new drop. For those who may not know, Body Count is the thrash band fronted by none other than Ice-T, which... Uh, when I was younger and found out this fact, I was just completely blown away because I, I was turned on to this band or somewhere around 95, no, not 95, around 97. And at that point, you know, Ice-T was still Ice motherfucking T. And the, the idea that he had thrash band was just like, what? This is insane. And it, it, he's not, not so much a, uh, like a growly screamer or even a singer. It's more of a yell, kind of like a slayer type situation. but. A lot of songs, it really works, and I really like uh, a lot of the riffs and stuff like that. And the fact that it's, you know, 
all the members are African-American and that's kind of a rarity, unfortunately, in a lot of heavy music. It's really cool to hear other people other than, you know, regular, you know, angry white guys, even though we're all kind of following the, the masters of the, of the genre, you know, we all have our different filters and it's really cool to see what Body Count does with their influences. I was first turned on the Body Count somewhere around 1997-ish. Uh, growing up, there was a, a gentleman on my block. His name is uh, Stacy. He was like, you know, the, the thrash head of the block. You know, uh, my brothers grew up with him. He was more their age. But as I started to, you know, get more into heavy metal and started playing bass and all that, I started jamming with him because he was literally like right across the street and he had a drum set and guitars and all this other stuff. And though we never really did anything, he was technically, you know, we were technically in a band together for a while. But he really uh, had a pretty extensive thrash metal uh, CD collection, tape collection that he was more than willing to share with us. And among stuff like Body Count, you know, he showed me stuff like SOD and DRI and, you know, Slayer. Because back in 97, you couldn't just jump online and just find this stuff. You had to, and you wouldn't even be able to, you know, preview it or listen to it unless you're at like one of those mega stores that had all the headphones and stuff set up. And if that was an album that they selected for you to be able to try out. So while a lot of that stuff, I was kind of like, uh, this is, you know, borderline extremely offensive to extremely offensive. <laughs> Body Count really just kind of stuck out with me as really having a lot of purity or just raw, just like raw angst that it really struck me as something honest. And while, again, I don't exactly count myself as a big fan, I always give them a shot. I always listen to what they're doing because there's a lot of great tunes. Now with Carnivore, I, uh, I like it. It's good. Um, I prefer their 2017 release a little bit more. But I think, I think this is fine. Uh, <laughs> again, as I brought up with Secret Rule, the last solo episode, not every album a band has to put out has to like redefine them for their fans. They just can do what they do and do it well. And Body Count's been doing this for many decades now, and they, they know what they're doing. Uh, they sound great. The production sounds great. And there's definitely some good jams on here. But if you're not familiar with Body Count, I definitely recommend a 2017 release. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop in the title here because I can't remember. It's escaping me and driving me nuts because I didn't write it down in my notes. The Body Count album in question is Bloodlust from 2017. It's excellent. That's like the best album I've, of theirs I've heard. So I definitely recommend you check that out along with this newest one because this might be your cup of tea as well. That said, it was hard to really pick a track. That I felt kind of defined the album or I felt was like my favorite, but you can't go wrong with the title track Carnivore. It tells you what to expect and there's definitely some good stuff in there. So check it out, Carnivore. So next album I want to talk about is Somewhere in Between from the band Systematic. Uh, Systematic was formed in 1996. They released this album in 2001 on the music company label from Warner Brothers, which was also uh, Lars Ulrich's label, which is now defunct. If I could describe Systematic, it would be very much, you know, imagine the hard rock sound of today. 
big thick guitars, metalish riffs, you know, sing along ish type of vocal melodies. Not not going too hard into the metal area, but not necessarily going really soft unless there's like a ballady type thing. And I think these guys were really much kind of the kind of like the step in between, you know, the more metal, grungy type stuff of the late 90s and where we're at now. Listening back to the album now, if you've never heard of them before, it you would think it, they're definitely just like, oh, these are guys, you know, must have come out past few years. They sound like a lot of the other more recent hard rock bands and kind of like that. And you, you'd be right. They do. But the fact is they did come out in 2001. And at that time, it was really really nice to hear kind of heavier guitars and riffs and metal tones and a little bit of aggression, but still have it be a bit more accessible and not be like yelly vocals or, you know, guttural screams or stuff like that because, you know, or not be new metal, which I have, you know, my own preferences and dislikes about new metal, but it was, it was something different from that. The album didn't exactly set the world on fire. They had a second album that released called Pleasure to Burn, and I like that one considerably less. The production was very lacking, I think. Uh, it just didn't really have any oomph to it, and which was really weird because they ended up switching drummers and having ex-Slayer Paul Ballstaff on drums, and it all just kind of seemed kind of lackluster. They disbanded not too long after that, and I think they've done some reunion shows here and there, but you know, overall, this first album still kicks some ass. I really enjoy it. When prepping for this, I was trying to think, when did I first hear Systematic? I know they were on Lars's label, and there's a good chance I was exposed to them to like a Guitar World article. Maybe Lars mentioned them or something like that. But also, I distinctly remember them being on Reverb, which was a really awesome show on HBO around that time. They would play clips of live shows from bands, big and small, and things like that. And I remember catching them on that and really enjoying what they were doing. Additionally, I also remember seeing their video in Chicago, there's a, in every city, I'm sure, there's like a public access metal show. In Chicago, ours was Rock Hard Video. I'm going to leave the name there. I'm not going to say anything more than that. It was, it was, uh, it was also like, I think early Saturday mornings, which was kind of ridiculous, but you would get stuff from, you'd get some of the standard more metal, like they would play the corn, they would play the corn. God, it sounds so fucking old. <laughs> They'd play corn, Iron, the Iron Maidens and the Metallicas. And you would also get stuff like Jag Panzer or like the occasional black metal thing. And one day this video for their song Deep Colors Bleed showed up on there. And I'm like, wow, this is that I think that this is the band I saw on Reverb or vice versa when I saw them on Reverb and think, oh, it's the band I saw on Rock Hard Videos. Regardless, they left a little bit of an impression on me. I've enjoyed this album for almost oh God, <laughs> for almost 20 years now, I guess. This, Jesus, this is, this is a mistake bringing up how old this album is. To kind of give you further insight on how old I'm feeling right now, I bought the CD of this album, and over a few years, I ended up getting scratched or whatever, and I needed to get a new one. Well, this was like the mid-2000s then, at that point, so there wasn't like a huge CD stock for a band that doesn't exist anymore, and the iTunes thing wasn't really a thing that was really ubiquitous for everybody, and MP3 players wasn't really, it really wasn't a feasible option for me. So I ended up like scouring the internet and I actually found like a copy of this album like on overstock.com and, you know, paying like seven bucks and like 10 bucks shipping or something just to get it. <laughs> I'm really kind of selling up this album with how much I've dealt with it and all this other stuff, but I just think it's a really good album. 
Uh, they, it's got a lot of great tunes from like Deep Colors Bleed, which is probably my favorite, to Glass Draw, which is a really nice melancholic little ballad thing. Uh, and just a whole bunch of others, like kind of jams. If you like Seven Dust, I think you'll like these guys a lot. Here's the, my favorite track off the album, Deep Colors Bleed. I hope you dig it. So given the current state of the world, there's been a lot of discussion about people having more time to create because we're at home, we're kind of secluding ourselves from outside activities and things like that. And I kind of think that's bullshit. Um, if you're a creative person and that's kind of something you do on a regular basis, you're going to feel a huge, immense pressure anyway to create with whatever time you do have. And to add the stresses of the state of the world right now on top of that, saying you have this extra time, which is not, it's an illusion. We do not have this extra time because we're dealing with other things with this time. Some of us are dealing with, you know, our families being home <laughs> when we're not used to them being home. And we have to take care of children and take care of spouses. Uh, other people have to worry about my day job isn't there anymore. So how am I going to get this money? What's going on with my health care? I hope I don't get sick so I don't have my health care. You know, <laughs> my life is essentially ruined at this point. So this added pressure is just, you know, or this intent of like, oh, we have this time. Let's make things. It's, it's, it's really not healthy, I think. There's some of us who can take advantage of this and they are and they're doing things and that's, that's great. But I think overall, a lot of us don't have that extra time. A lot of us have less time more anxiety, more worries. And I really think people should try to redirect that in any way possible. If you need to take a day and not create and just kind of veg out on a show or, you know, just take some time reading some books or playing a video game, or if you're relaxing by creating something, you know, doing your best to not make it for anything other than yourself. Some people are streaming their days or streaming work and stuff like that. And a lot of people are kind of sharing their process and doing all these things. And if that's making them feel better, great. I know some people are really enjoying that because they have some kind of content and some sort of interaction with people and artists and creators that they like that, you know, is kind of taking their minds off of everything for a little bit. I just really think we need to focus on taking care of ourselves and the people we care about because things can go into chaos really, really fast in these types of situations. Chaos, like just general messiness in your house because you're just kind of frazzled and you're not taking care of things. Or just kind of chaos in your own brain. And I think a lot of people spread this myth of like the, you know, messy, creative, chaotic artist. And for some people, yes, I'm sure that's true. But there's a point to things. I mean, let's, let's be honest. How many of us who are creative people have procrastinated by doing something that's organizational or cleaning or, you know, cooking or something like that? not necessarily creating more chaos or thriving in the chaos, 
we're trying to establish some sort of order for ourselves. So I think there's a should be this added importance to finding some healthy distractions and hobbies that can kind of quiet our minds a bit. I, again, I understand how hard this is with children and spouses and or just being on your own and the added stresses, but to put forth this idea that you need to be creating in this tumultuous time, it's not healthy, it's not safe for some people. It's it's really kind of making a bad situation worse. You don't owe anybody anything because we have this distorted illusion of time. That's it. We don't. If you can find it in yourself to create, then do it. But if you need to take a breather, if you need to step away, if you need to delete Twitter off your phone and block it off your browser and do the same thing with Facebook and Instagram and just kind of take take time for yourself. This is kind of unprecedented in this world. Like we've had pandemics before. We've had kind of weird, crazy, um, you know, society acting kind of nuts about things like the Y2K thing and all that. But right now, there's so much information coming out. We're just being bombarded. We were bombarded before this. And this is just like turning everything up to 11. I know for myself, I've tried to plan to do more things creatively and, do, and make more things in this time. And that was kind of foolish. But for me, trying to make these plans, mapping these things out, doing things, even if I'm not achieving them, at least I'm making baby steps towards them, that helps me. That might not help you. And if you have to scale back your plans and, you know, take some things off the plate, then do that. Because things will get better. Our normal will not be what it was, but I'm hoping it'll be something better. And I think the only way it'll be something better is if we all take care of ourselves now so we can start growing and doing things and being more productive and fruitful when we don't have to deal with this. So... Uh, I'm going to keep doing these podcasts. Hopefully uh, you get some sort of enjoyment out of these. I'm going to keep making my comics. I'm going to keep making my music for as long as I can. But I'm going to take care of myself and my family first. And I know for a fact when that happens, what I make is better. And I hope that's true for you too. All right. Take care. This episode of the Comics Coffee Metal Podcast was brought to you by my patrons, Mark Warner and John Dudley. If you'd like to become a patron and get access to this podcast up to a week early, exclusive comics, sketches, music downloads, and all sorts of other goodies, please go to www.patreon.com slash art. Tiers start at $1, and that gets you access to most things. Thanks for listening. See you next time.